My guest on today's episode is Mike Coulter. You may know Mike from an earlier episode in this season, episode four, titled Saviors. It features a song of his at the end. Mike's a musician, but he's a therapist. He's also Lacey's and my love child. And we discuss the Beatles documentary today, Get Back. We're both coming from two different places, me being the super fan and him not really caring about the Beatles prior to seeing the doc and our variety of experience. And it's a fun, long one. So if you're into the Beatles and if you've watched the documentary and you're trying to figure out where to put the feelings, we sort through a bit of it and uh, can help shed some light or at least create some connections. So we'll get right into it. This is my conversation with Mike Coulter about the Beatles documentary, Get Back on Disney+. Plus. Mike's here, and things are very nice having him as a part of the atmosphere. And Happy to be here. And the whole point of the conversation today is to discuss the Beatles documentary. We're both coming from two different places going into this, watching this documentary. As a matter of fact, I was surprised that you watched it. I mean, I watched it just like because I was, it was a documentary about a band. Literally, cool. that was why I entered into it. And we're coming into this watching the documentary, me as a super fan collector of all things informational about this band and any subtle nuances of the experience, like finding out maybe what mood a Beatle was in when they wrote a song or something, you know, those kind of subtleties. Hearing those, it feel like it enriches my life and has since I was very young. And and uh, I grew up singing... Beatles songs in the car with my mom playing certainly the early the, the early recordings but um, my mom's like the memory that I have the most with a record is uh, Rubber Soul which is cool because it's a record that the Beatles p- put out when they were just starting to get into mind-altering substances in this case is that there's sort of like um, marijuana. I mean as will be made clear throughout this whole thing there, there's a lot I don't know but about them and their history. But is that sort of considered the turning point, the turning point for them? It is, but it, 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 the one that gets the credit for it is Revolver. Oh, okay. Which is next. Right. And where they, and I mean, it kind of was next and it wasn't. I mean, there's, there's like records that came out in the U.S. that didn't come out um, in, in England, like yesterday and today. The actual... Uh, record cover the original um they had i think they had just started to smoke weed and the their out al- their album cover idea was the butchering of oh, the dolls right, right? yeah yeah so it's like them all in lab coats with blood splatter all that's over. crazy for them so, back then well, yes. i mean for anybody like Dude. even the velvet underground would have oh, done that. totally you're getting a peek at the kind of creativity that's going to make a sergeant yeah. pepper like let's do something shocking and they'd had this image, you know, leading up to that. Anyway, so so singing Rubber Soul in the car with my mom and then later on in life meeting people that I thought were really cool, that mm-hmm. were great musicians who worshipped the Beatles. And I was going, oh, that the band that I've sang with my mom, like it, 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 now it was cool. Mm-hmm. Now there's like currency to yeah. being a deep diver into the Beatles catalog, which I hadn't really and so I I became an all immersive sort of collector right. of, of of 
anything I could know about the Beatles. And I have, they've influenced me, I think, more than any other thing on the planet outside of Buddhism. And, and I think Buddhism pales still in comparison because of the amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, a monk in Tibet might know Buddhism the way that I know the Beatles. Well, that's a good way to put it, yeah. And that fucker's floating. <laughs> levitating. Exactly. He's one of those guys. Right. Yeah. So that's what I'm coming into this as. And I and and it's so tiny, weird tiny for me bit to be of the, sitting here talking about the Beatles in these terms. Like it, it's so new. Yeah. You know, well that's me. gotta be that's gotta carry its own kind of beauty. Yeah, it, yeah. It's you know? it's good, but it's 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 almost like I'm talking a different language. Yeah. You know, yeah, and and in a way, I mean, it sort of is that way. It's sort of like with Star Trek, uh, Star Wars, or Star Trek. Like, there's this, there's these universes within mm-hmm. the universe of the thing. Yeah, part of my background also is that I had the opportunity in 2007 to go make a record at George Martin's right. studio, right? And I used the London Symphony, and they just they had just uh, recorded. Uh, the only new piece of music that went on the Beatles' love that went on that soundtrack, which is like an amazing hodgepodge that Giles Martin, George's son, mm-hmm. uh, created of mixing like within you, without you with uh, tomorrow never knows, you wow. know, and songs like that, these mashups and that they had just completed that record the year before in that studio. Aaron's, no, is it, it, it's, a, it's a wholly different. Is it one of the, it's not Abbey road, but it's George Martin's. He owns a studio that, that, that is a cathedral. Mm-hmm. Bought a cathedral and converted it. Oh, into, okay. okay. And it's gotcha. like gigantic gothic. Like, I mean, right. when you're in the main hall, it's just, it's something epic. Yeah. And so the only original piece of music that they made for it that wasn't from the old archives was this string version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps mm. that George does an acoustic version of on the Beatles Love record and they added these strings and I used those strings. So I had this the ultimate sort of experience outside of being at Abbey Road. And I, I played our recording in Giles Martin's studio upstairs. Like he was sitting there and he yeah. basically got first listen to this record. And so that was just, yeah, it came out of nowhere and I was three years off of Skid Row and mm-hmm. I, you know, it's like just, and nothing happened with the record, which is kind of beautiful. Right. <laughs> you know, just like it, it was just to show me, how big things can get and I could touch it into the fabric of like, you know, the, the handwritten music for yesterday. Oh, so it had all that kind of, Oh man. Oh, totally. I mean, Tim Burton's coming by for lunch, like because he lives up the street. Right. It's just this experience. It's amazing. Why was he coming by? Because he, he knows the engineers or whatever. They recorded some scores and he's, you know, he's dropping by and it's the, the main studio is where they recorded. Okay. Computer and some Mm -hmm. of, Kid A were recorded at. <laughs> well, we're going to we'll wind up having to do this same podcast in ten years about Radiohead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Seriously, if, if they make a movie that works for me, and Radiohead's the only band that I feel like has even come close mm-hmm. to the kind of like mystique and prolific. Yeah, we'll talk about that because the yeah. same thing, the same mechanism. My it, it explains my aversion to both bands. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's I'm I'm coming in to watching this documentary. Like this is I, this is unbelievable that this exists, mm-hmm. and I know that I'm about to have a psychedelic experience. Is mm-hmm. what I'm telling myself. This is going to change the way that you've seen this story, and my whole thing has been about gathering the story as accurately as possible. Mm-hmm. So 
there's a, an excitement about losing it all. Did you have any True. idea? Because I didn't really hear anything about it, literally. I, I watched the movie at maybe an hour after I first heard mention of it. Yeah. So you, you're, you're saying you sort of knew it was coming out and you're expecting the experience and that it was going to change things. Did I didn't know it was going to change things when it first was talked about being released. I just thought that it would be really cool to see footage of the band that I feel like I've seen all the right. footage of that exists uh, in the public. And had you seen the Let It Be right, yeah, movie? Okay, the original. So you had that. Okay. I'd seen the 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 version that existed that was now feels like a clickbait version. Yeah, yeah. Of, well, that's you know, I'm curious about that yeah. because so I didn't expect it when hearing about it approaching, mm-hmm. and I hear that it's Peter Jackson. I think that's really cool. I, what an interesting thing to get to see how he would do it. And then as it gets closer, some people have seen it, like Stephen Colbert had seen it, I think, when he visited New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Prior to even knowing it, it existed, and, and I think Peter Jackson sat him down, and yeah. over a couple of days, maybe, they saw he saw at least six hours of it. And he said that it completely changed him. And so I'm expecting that. I know that he's a super fan. So I'm going, whoa, that potential exists. Okay, well, I, you know, I'm, I would be the first person to give up my construct of what, but did you have some idea that the change that people were talking about was a positive change rather than, or were you, did you no. think, oh, I might. I, I think I left them. it out. I okay. think I didn't know how, what, in what way. It was just going to just alter the story. Okay. So I'm coming into watching this thing with all of that mm-hmm. and you're coming in. Well, I was a guy who had the white album at one point in, in high school and yeah. probably listened to it three times, you know. <laughs> Look, I mean, I always knew that the the, the Beatles, I, I, when I was at my best, I've been able to sort of separate Beatles fans from the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's just like, it, 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 and it's just, so it's sort of the same thing with radio. I have a really, it, once I sense that a group of people have made a sacred cow out of something, I just hate it all, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and that's, you know, fair, which has nothing to do with the band or the yeah. artist, but yeah. You know, like certainly both of those bands have that in droves. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, um, so you're just imme- immediately yeah. opposed. Well, to anything just, that has yeah. like a, a cult-like following yeah. of, and it's yeah. a reaction against the fans. But it's, the only way to express it is to sort of attack the band. But and, you've been able to, you're saying, successfully separate the fans of the Beatles from the Beatles, or you haven't, or you? Oh, well, at this point, in. completely. That's what. That's why we're sitting oh, here. Oh, now you have right. But, but I mean, even in, in the past, at my best, I was able to sort of just turn, realize that that was a very sort of reflexive, juvenile sort of reaction and turn that off. And, and you know, like admit the obvious, which is that they're, they're, they're geniuses. Uh-huh. I've always sort of accepted that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so you, even if you weren't immersed in their catalog and all that stuff, you recognize from what piece yeah, of music? Yeah, I mean, you can't be a songwriter and, and like in your heart of hearts not admit that they're geniuses. Oh, okay. You know, good. I mean, it yeah. wasn't my right sort of thing. Yeah, um, I didn't think. Yeah, um, in the same way, the same thing with Radiohead or Prince or there's a number of artists that you know they don't really right flip the switch. In oh, me, totally. But Prince like, is that you way can't me. Uh, yeah. deny that they're geniuses. Right. You know? Right. Um, right. And. Prince isn't sort of the same thing with the aversion to the fans, but like radio ahead and, you know. Um, yeah. It's odd because you're a deadhead. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah, you're, I mean, you're. It's odd because you're so much more than that, and there are people who are just deadheads, mm-hmm. and so. But you're a dead fan, and the culture, and the whole thing. I mean, the, when talking about the Grateful Dead, we're not even talking about a band that makes music necessarily. Right. We're talking about a whole, um, um, a, a philosophy. Right? Isn't that kind of sure? Yeah, exactly. But it, but it has the same yeah. kind of like. I mean, the music wizard, just, like you know, yeah, almost the music like, uh, of the dead. I love you know there for a certain period of them. I always say sort of up to nineteen seventy four. I love everything they composed and recorded. Yeah. After that, man, it's just like it's it's some of. I mean, they they've created some of the most loathsome music I've ever heard. <laughs> and I, but I love them. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So much more than that, right? Right, uh, but you know, I was always like champion. I mean, I've always been. If I like something, I'm obsessed with it. So, yeah. you know, I was always very close to the Beatles. Like I was obsessed with the Stones and mm-hmm. early Pink Floyd, and mm-hmm. you know, the Velvet Underground. Yeah, you know, so that period. But the Beatles with the Warlocks, except both the, the the Velvet Underground were originally Dead. called the Warlocks, and the Grateful yeah. Dead were originally called the Warlocks. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a whole other thing. It's like the idea of like bands back then, these iconic bands, sort of going to see each other's shows and stuff like that kind of blows my mind. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You no. listen to the White Owl maybe three times. You understand that they're geniuses, but you, they just don't flip the switch for you. Right. So you're coming into this watching, oh, this will be an interesting study in Well, yeah, I'll watch any documentary about, like, a band working. And I had no idea, like, I didn't even know how long it was at oh, first. Oh, wow. And I was... But I knew it was about, like, them at work writing a record. Yeah. And, you know, like, I, I've heard all these songs. I, you don't have to be an active fan to have heard all this stuff. Yeah. That's so, most of it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's what I went into it with. So were you alone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how is the first episode for you? What's happening? Two things struck me by, you know, midway, by halfway through, mm-hmm. which was that, you know, I've always sort of had this sort of unspoken sort of subconscious idea that at a certain level bands they don't act like bands anymore mm-hmm. like to re- make music they don't do what i've always done in a band which is bring songs in and here check this out play this and fuck around and you get bored and you play some more and you get lunch and yeah like that they were doing it was just like they're doing that like right. i thought that was only like what you had to do at my level. Yeah, yeah. Like they, you know, you mean like so showing up and killing yeah. time and well, kind of like not knowing exactly what we're doing and maybe re- hammering out a it song. It was exactly like every lifter rehearsal I ever had. Right. Okay. Like, so, and, that, and that's important to yeah. say. I, I also wanted to point out that you're a musician and we featured one of your songs on an earlier episode in Mike's story. And he was in this band called Lifter that had this flash moment in the LA um, indie scene in the nineties and uh, was a well-respected band that put out something on, was it Geffen or what, who was it? Interscope. Right. And it, and it, and it hit and there's a song out there that is in the ether. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, 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 you know, what's it called? uh, 402. 402. It's going to be the big single. Okay. Right. And again, it was sort of like your thing. Like it, Nothing happened with it. You touched into the right, but the it thing, was. It, but then you know, like happened. I'll still get like you know, like once or twice a year, somebody will find me on Facebook or something and say like, you know, your record changed my life. You know, and that, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love um, that too. But you know, but that's the thing. Like to see them approaching making a record yeah. the way that 
I had. Yeah. Was to, I just never occurred to me that I just figured they didn't do it that way once you got to a certain level of success. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know what I thought they did. You know, one of my big bands is Pink Floyd. And, mm-hmm. You know, when you, you know how, like, sort of the wall was made, which uh-huh. was just, like, everybody sort of phoning tapes to one. I mean, right. mailing tapes to Right. You know, I sort of figure, oh, well, that's what they must do. Yeah. You know, I mean, it wasn't so to a very... see them doing what bands have done in garages, yeah. which is essentially Sitting what they're doing. Sitting on amps, you know, yeah. just sort of, you know, like... Just chiseling it yeah. out, and you like, know, trying to work something out, yeah. trying to pull it out. I mean, you, you see Paul in the first one sort of pull, get back right. out, you know, and... And he's strumming his bass like a. I mean, that's a really well. The first of all, then the movie like handles that moment so epically. Yeah, it does. You know, they, it just sort of sneaks up on you, and just yeah. that one. You know, because there's very little information beyond what they are saying. Yeah, every maybe half an hour, there's a line of like a, a subtitle, or right? No. And it just said this the beginning. What the, what yeah, is about to, to be, occur yeah. is it became the Beatles' next single. Yeah, yeah, and, right. And it sneaks up on you like, oh my God, like the, the, they had that moment. Yeah, it's just amazing. Right, it's so rare. Yeah, it's, it's so true to yeah. be there at that precious moment where you. Because I think that was one of the few songs they actually wrote. Like it, lit, it didn't exist in anybody's no, mind right. before those moments. It was born in Twickenham. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, in that moment. Which is a really cool moment. Also, let's just talk about, so unlike most bands, there is a Hare Krishna in the corner yeah. <laughs> on day one. <laughs> I and mean, I love how they sort of just like reference him. You know, it's like, well, yeah. who's that old guy over there? <laughs> yeah. And George said, he's a, a friend of mine or something. Yeah, he says he's really clean or something. Yeah, yeah. and like then somebody just, clean. I think John just says. Oh, yeah, no, he says it's a bit daft him sitting all yeah, the yeah, way yeah. over in, in that area <laughs> yeah. uh, when while we're rehearsing or yeah. something. That's the second thing that I was struck with by how human they were. Yeah. And of course they would be, but like, you know, yeah. again, like this whole facade had crumbled. And like... I just sort of fell in love with all four of them as yeah, people, which yeah. is, I I really thought John Lennon, my idea of John Lennon, if you would ask me two hours earlier, Completely he was just changed. such a, he was like, well, I'll, I mean, I, I hear he's an asshole and yeah. I, he's a wife beater and he's a, right. you know, just a sullen prick. Yeah. I really assumed that's what he was like all the time, like yeah. a sullen prick genius. Right. And he, every second of those nine hours, yeah. he's like, sincerely happy yeah. humorous kind yep and you know people say well he was high on dope and like look i know a little something about being high on dope yeah and if he was he right. certainly wasn't very he was not impaired in any way yeah and what do you know about being high on dope i've you know i've i've, I've traveled those you've roads. romanced the needle yeah no i mean you know like i know what it's like to I know what it's like. I'm very intimate Dude. with being in that a studio trying to write music and being loaded. To whatever extent that may be true that he and Yoko were doing dope, they right. weren't doing it any like they weren't doing it like there's I There's no do drug it. addict behavior at all. I, at all. No. This whole thing it is that's the thing is uh when you can still share space with mm-hmm. people in a group where you can still have the thing that we all got to eavesdrop into. Mm-hmm. This like galactic space yeah just incredible spaciousness between them all that feels like a like a it felt like a force yeah like when they're all in that room together you it feels like four gods yeah you know and i i don't know what that's like i've never i've never experienced sort of seeing something at like okay here they are at the highest point in their creativity Mm -hmm. 
no matter which direction they go, they're fine. The sky's the, is still the limit. Yeah. And they don't need each other anymore. But I don't think they had, like fully like accepted that. I no, think that was probably no. a very we watched like, the acceptance. sobering moment to even realize that. Yeah. So it was that's the second. I was struck by like how likable and kind they were, and you know the idea that you're right. They are these like I kept being struck by like these are the four at that moment. They were yeah. the four most powerfully yeah. famous influential humans on earth. Yeah. Like they yeah. were. Yeah. Like, and, and and they and, treated everybody around them yeah. as if they were equals, which. You know, right. it's not easy right. when you're at that level, no matter so how true. much you want to do it. Totally. I felt privileged to be able to see them greet each other with the new yeah. year. Yeah, right. Just right. those little exchanges yeah. where like Ringo's like, oh, happy new year. Like all that. Yeah. And it's like this softness, this sweetness after all this time. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, I'm a sucker for that. So any yeah. documentary that had musicians acting kind and humble on some level, yeah. I'm going to fall for it. Yeah. You know, because that's ultimately all I really want out of people. I mean, it was just sort of... It abounded. Dro- yeah, 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 for sure. You know, when they get to the first sort of difficult spot, which is three days in, and it's the famous scene that's kind of this exchange between George and Paul mm. while they're hammering out a song. I mean, it's it's incredibly layered, to my delight. Mm, yeah. This is an incredibly layered situation. And before it was just Paul's controlling and George is like, fuck you. I've had enough basically like, Oh, play whatever you want me to play or yeah, exactly. I won't play it yeah. all. You know, mm-hmm. it's just to whatever you want, I'll, uh, whatever you wish I'll do it. Yeah. You know, that thing. And that the lead up to it, you can see that their process in writing that song. Mm-hmm. What, 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 what were they working on? They was were it, working uh, on get how, back. I think it was, they're working on, or either that or don't let me down. I think, okay. it, no, I think it's get back though, because it's jump, bam, mm-hmm. they, they're working, they're talking about that, that splash of guitar right. that happens in that song at that part. Bam. Paul's like wanting to have a formula for writing songs. Mm-hmm. George is a guy who whittles. And so it helps just to play and to play and to play over and over again. Paul's wanting, something incremental to be. Mm, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Bu- you know, their systems are clashing. And so you're seeing that, and then you go the backstory of it's always been Lennon McCartney, and here's George trying to make something very specific to Paul's liking, who's mm-hmm. been the chief songwriter along with John, who, I mean, is a, they're a force in themselves. And it's very interesting also to see in this first episode of these separate camps that they can go into. Yeah, yeah. These configurations, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, when Paul and John, they're obviously a thing. Mm-hmm. And they obviously have their... They, but they've kind of figured out a way Ringo to... Ringo sort of... of st- he's just sort of the anchor that keeps... That yeah. They all sort of weirdly revolve around. Yeah, you know exactly. No, he's... The pacifist yeah. of the group, um, certainly, and I, I had no idea. Like he really sort of holds them together by doing nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the Buddha statue to just to remind you to like that. There's a there's a calm centered space mm-hmm. to come down to, yeah. <laughs> or something like. And uh, these configurations, you know, Paul and Ringo and John have a thing. Ringo can have a thing with any of them, mm-hmm. and. 
John and and uh, George have a, a loving dynamic, and it's sort of like Paul has to be the object of disdain because he's yeah. the only one that's kind of trying to keep things on a schedule, which is fair given the amount of time that they have to accomplish this. You know, so and he's been in that role, and he's remarking on being in that yeah. role out loud. He's like, "I know, I've been, I've been the guy." Well, you know, that's it, an interesting thing too. Like, you know, I it, look if anybody comes off being the bad guy, which, and I say just relative to the other three, it's going to be him. I yeah, think, yeah, and I don't think he comes off as being a bad guy at all. No, but the, it's that role you're talking about. But I noticed, you know, like. There are, there are a few times throughout the whole thing that, you know, when they sort of just are very frankly talking about what's going on and the struggles they're having. And, yeah. and it's very directly put towards him that he's doing certain things that are problematic. And I can't really think of an example. And he always is, just owns it. Yeah, like he he's, does. He's in, incredibly not defensive yeah. about anything. I think it's, it's also interesting that I think it's him that has, you know, references the idea that to some extent, and they they call him Mr. Epstein a few times. They don't yeah. refer to him as Brian. Right. I, don't, I wonder if with him gone, he used to do so all this. Yeah. He steered the ship. Oh, no, and George Martin. Yeah, George Martin musically, and and you can see George Martin throughout this documentary, like this outsider trying yeah, to work get his way into still the middle in. of this stuff. And no, he yeah. if anything, he's adding annoyance. And and Paul is the, feels like the continuation. He feels like the evolution of what George Martin was yeah. for the group. He's now helping conduct and move things forward. I feel like he feels like he's evolving leadership yeah. in the group. Brian Epstein's dead. George Martin is trying to find relevance in the band. Yeah. I mean, he is. And that's, the, I mean, you got a Glenn Well, Johns. that's the thing, you know, it's like, you know, he, it, they've come together as a band, but it's fucking John Lennon yeah, and George exactly. Harrison. Right. There's four people who, you know, whether they knew it then or would admit it, are yeah. like these four forces of nature. Yeah. And so he's tasked with sort of corralling this. Yeah. The dynamics within the band that are longstanding that they're trying to work out in real time while making a record. We're excluding whatever's going on in their home life. George leaves the band on Friday. George also, that same day, they're all huddled around him while he's playing I Me Mine. Mm -hmm. And it's fucking beautiful. The chords of that song are just as good as anything the Beatles have ever wrote. That descending chord Mm -hmm. line, it's just heartbreakingly beautiful. And it's Paul and John and maybe Ringo's there and and, uh, maybe Glenn John's. And they're all huddled around listening to it. And they're making wisecracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And calling it like, oh, well, it's a bit of a ballad. You know, we'll save that for the ballad that John jokes about. Yeah. That's George's way. That's a Pisces way of com- trying to communicate something in a way, like showing you something that they've made mm-hmm. to communicate something to you. Right. And in this song... The song contents are about what's going on with them. But that idea of like offering a song as a way to communicate, and and when it's dismissed, how fucking painful that is. And he even said, right "I mean, after. it's horrible. I mean, we've probably both been in that situation. Totally. This is a time where wisecracks. If you were a little more mature, and they're in their fucking twenties, also yeah, we have to remember yeah. they're in their late twenties, which for young men 
at the height of, you know, the level of consciousness that they're at and creativity and all that stuff, they're still in 28-year-old yeah. bodies. But because it's such a vulnerable moment for yes, him. It's timely. It's a big deal. It's, a, it's yeah. timely. And he goes, I don't care if you want it or not. He's yeah. like, he's like, I don't give a fuck. God, if they only knew. I know. And then what he had. <laughs> two hours later, he leaves yeah. the group. And it's not even a big dramatic crescendo thing. It's oh, just, it's, it's crazy. What is he actually? I'm, he I'm says, leaving the Beatles. Uh, I'm leaving the band now. I'm leaving the band now. Yeah, yeah. Like he was going like home when? early. And he goes, now. Their reaction is, I, I can relate to it so much, which is like when met with shocking, horrible news, disregard it right. it's not important i don't care because what's going on in george's home life that particular weekend is the eric clapton drama around patty mm. oh i didn't realize that and it's george's best friend eric clapton mm-hmm. has told him that he's in love with his his wife and george says fine man you can have her you know just whatever makes you happy kind of thing that's what's going on in his home wow, life. yeah you know the weekend they have off and they go to ringo's house and try and get him to come back get George to come back into the group. And, and all of that is said is that it doesn't go well. Right. And who knows what that is. Mm-hmm. And Ringo comments the next day on Monday when we're back in the studio, he says something like, uh, he's like, well, it went well at first. He's like, you know, generally like it's okay. But then at the end it just, yeah. it didn't come together. Is that what, does that lead to the lunch with Paul and John, the, the recorded lunch? John and... Paul are talking about the dynamic of George and where he has been sold short throughout yeah, the journey. John's just like, we, we do this. Yeah. We've, we've completely kept him down. Yeah. Like, you do it, I do it. You know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but... Right. Yeah. And so that moment yeah. represents so many moments throughout the whole documentary where the Beatles don't know they're being recorded in that moment. John and Paul, they're not conscious of that. Mm-hmm. And so we have this conversation now that they think is private. And it's the first private conversation I feel like I've ever heard John have Mm. and Paul. And here are the two people who wrote all these songs. And and this is what they sound like. Discussing their their brother, their forgotten brother, and where they see their part in things. Mm -hmm. And... And you're getting to know really who they are beyond all the silliness and beyond the brilliance. You know, there's part of me that wants to say like, and the fact that they were able to have this conversation and be so and own everything they've done to such a degree and not be defensive is yeah. maybe they're just being normal people. But yeah. that's such a moment of like that. So much shattered my idea of who they were. Yeah, the, the people that I assumed they were would not be having that conversation they'd be like fuck him yeah like we don't need him right you know right it wouldn't exactly. be like man we, we kind of screwed up here yeah you know and you can you you start to see how you know everybody in this situation is right mm. there's no baseline of uh of morality of ethics yeah you know to figure out where uh, everyone's individual analytics are yeah. are, are, are meeting up. You know, I mean, as far as like uh, you know, like group or band issues, it, it's you know as heavy as it is, it's probably one of the most nuanced and mild. Everybody involved, like you're saying, is so far away from being a bad guy. Yeah, it is just such a subtle little thing that has led to this. Yeah, nothing's nefarious. Nothing's even almost selfish. It's just yeah. sort of. You know, we allowed this this snowball to to roll down the wrong side of the hill. To piggyback on that, you know, the whole idea of 
what we've known about Yoko and her part in the Beatles' demise, you know, which has long been sort of applied to her. Uh, it's what people know. It's the work that they know of her. Oh, that's all, yeah. <laughs> More so than any song they can yeah. name or she any artistic contribution. Yeah. yeah, she broke up the Beatles, right? From start to finish in this documentary, I couldn't see a single annoyance. Yeah, I mean, there, if you've never seen any of this footage and you have it in your mind that like, oh, well, I, I think John, John and Yoko were always together. You, were, you have no idea to what extent yeah. they spend every, literally every second within a foot and a half of one another. Yeah. Yeah. And they did so for decades. I yeah. mean, it's it's. I've never seen anything like it. Right. The level to which they are connected. Yeah, and and accepted by the rest of the band in the way of interactions. Mm-hmm. When you see them, when you see Paul and Yoko interacting, it feels like mm-hmm. a loving thing. I think that, you know, this beautiful thing that we know now to have been born in 1956, the friendship between John and Paul, bonding over music both having lost their mothers, both fond of rockabilly music Mm -hmm. and both musically proficient enough, you know, and seeing this friendship evolve over time and seeing that love, that understanding, that kind of communication that they have just in the eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, I was hanging out with a friend the other day, Carson, Mm -hmm. and, and him showing up, immediately there's just i know he knows yeah. <laughs> we've yeah. been all these places together though we haven't seen each other in a little bit when you get around somebody who you've just dug so far into mm-hmm. you know there's this communication that happens where like you feel like more um um solid in your experience on earth mm-hmm. like i feel more grounded knowing that somebody who's in the room knows me and and has been through things with me and and there's well, a I mean, communication think about it, how rare it is you know like to to have somebody and you know if we're i i would say that i consider myself and i imagine you do too incredibly you know fortunate to have more than most people have in their life i think people like that yeah. like these oh yeah these these people that you know yeah, I mean, you're one of them to me. You yeah. and Lacey. No, for sure. Carson's one of them to me, sort of, not so much as you guys, but, like, yeah. I mean, I can be completely vulnerable. Yeah. Not like I'm consciously thinking, oh, I can be completely vulnerable, but, like, it just all washes away. Yeah. Like, there's nothing I might think or say, you know, double-check, should I say this around them? Yeah, How exactly. might they take this? Like, it, it just yeah, wouldn't. we really know none you of that. through and through. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And they have that. And so you're watching... You're watching almost uh, what I imagine parents go through with the empty nest thing. Mm. Like you see it in Paul's eyes as he discusses John and Yoko finding their love. And he's like, I don't want to stand in the way of that. Nothing should stand in the way of that. Yeah. He's found real love. That's and they want to be together. They want to be together all the time. And, and no one should get in their way, not even the Beatles. Right. And there's that look. It's it's like a, there's this line in the Royal Tenenbaums, this narration Alec Baldwin does. Royal Tenenbaums have been busted by his family for not having cancer, and they're throwing <laughs> him out. And he says, you know, these past few weeks have been the best weeks of my life. Mm-hmm. And then the narration comes in and it says, uh, just after Royal s- said this, he realized that it was true. 
And it was like one of those things yeah. where it felt like yeah. Paul said that out loud and maybe he hadn't ever strung all those words together. Right. And that were there for that. I mean, I have goosebumps right uh. now. That were there for that, this moment where he's gazing kind of just off to the side of the camera. Mm-hmm. He's not looking at the camera. He's not even thinking about it. And he's touched into this tenor place of like the empty nest. It, it's that. It's all that. And it's also because, you know, he follows it up immediately. He makes that joke. Like, you know, he's like, well, you know, in 50 years, they'll be saying, oh, Yoko broke up the Beatles <laughs> because she sat on an amp wrong. <laughs> like, he's so, and that hadn't even happened yet. And yeah. he knew. But, you know, it, it, the way you describe the moment is, is, is perfect, the emptiness thing. But it's also a moment of like, Fuck, everything yeah. that we've been told is not true. Who am I? Right. Like, this is, the history is, this is not the history right. I was told right. at all. And, and that's <laughs> the thing is, like, it's it's in real time, I'm feeling yeah. um, the update. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To yeah. the software. Those updates, yeah. they happen throughout life. Yeah, they do. Almost invariably, they're for the worst. Right. Like we're updated with information that it's like always a, like, like a negative yeah. thing. Right. And this is like a rare one where it was like, oh my God, this just got really better. <laughs> this is so much better. There's this place in New Mexico in Santa Fe, and it's a a bunch of a collective of artists. Have you heard of Meow Wolf? Mm-mm. So Meow Wolf is a a collection of artists who got funding from George R.R. R. Game of Thrones. Yes. Thrones. Yeah. Okay, that guy. George, yeah, you're right. So he funded this collective to make an experience where you go through a house, and it's like a house of abandoned an abandoned family, like the family's disappeared. Oh, wow. And everything's still on in the house. And you can, It's open to the public? Yeah, you walk through this house. Have you been there? Yes and no, but this the house is inside of a right. a, a, a warehouse that basically. Amazing. Yeah, so you go into this house and you're seeing all these clues of things that were left behind, and you can go. It's a huge house. It's a two story. You go upstairs and you see everything's just been left a certain way, and your the video that's on in the kitchen or whatever is you can see that this family's been a part of some sort of cult that believes oh, in yeah. entering a, another dimension. Oh, what a brilliant thing! And you can you open up the fridge. And the fridge is a doorway into a whole other world and you slide through and you're in this constructed, all these different little psychedelic worlds. Wow. You're basically going to all the places that they now, like all these other dimensions wow. where, where this family's disappeared to. And it is the most psychedelic experience I've ever had without taking something uh-huh. because everything is being challenged. Everything that is around you is a portal to something else. And it's just like what you would imagine, like a almost a cartoon representation of a psychedelic experience. Well, yeah, it sounds be. very much like Alice in Wonderland. Very much like that. Yeah. Exactly. And it's the first time I did it, I, I felt like I can't believe that I'm sober and I feel this right. way, you know? And that's, it's the same feeling mm-hmm. where. I didn't know that I could feel this way from watching a documentary. Yeah. I didn't know that the, getting the the I, software yeah. update. Suffice it to say, I mean, yeah, I mean, this thing, if it's not clear already, just blew my fucking mind. But just on that visceral level, yeah. like just as a movie. Oh, you know, and, and one of the things that I saw too is, 
like Paul's graciousness around writing. I saw him allowing other people to contribute uh, wording to the lyrics. Oh, what do you think about this one? You know. Oh, that that's a whole other thing. The lyrics. Yeah. That was another thing that uh, I really had no idea that so many of their songs, and this isn't a put down because it's done brilliantly, uh-huh. but I had no idea that how much of their lyrical content was completely Im- impersonal and was just almost oh, phonetic. In right. its, we need a word that said, you know, we need a place. Give me a place. Give me a name, you know. Yeah. And that's, yeah. and, and I'm really, and it's brilliantly done. So that's just another way to write lyrics and so on. But I yeah. just always assumed that they were all like George. Right. Where these are all my heart on my sleeve lyrics. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I think a lot of it. So is, seeing that process, the same thing you're talking about. Yeah. Was really interesting. Yeah. The, the part, one of the things to really like, just to rub it in our faces about the whole Yoko thing not mm. being what we thought it was, is like Yoko's like playfully dancing to Paul, like a, a song where Paul's rocking out. Oh, yeah. And she's like getting her groove on, mm-hmm. showing in support, and he's loving it. And these exchanges that they had, you know, I, I, I also saw this side of Yoko where George later on is talking about he's assembled all these songs. Mm-hmm. And that he he's feeling like he wants to see what it'd be like to have all of his songs in the order of a album like mm-hmm. a bunch of his songs together on a record yeah, yeah. rather than you know yeah yeah placed <laughs> strategically you know somewhere on the record and Yoko's like yes she's like nodding her head yeah. and she's like you should do that you should definitely do that that is about the most she says in the entire movie. Exactly. Like all the interaction, let's let's be very clear, is very nuanced and ver- yeah. non-verbal. It is like non-verbal. she really is like, you know, just this enigma attached to John. Right. Generally reading the newspaper or knitting or something. And almost never in the way. No, I mean, well not at all. I mean, not that's at all. The thing. I mean, I was saying yeah. almost because I didn't want to be so definitive, but like, yeah. you know, just virtually you just don't see her in the way the only time she pops out of that to actually engage directly with any of the band it's in a positive way yeah it's in the way you're talking about supportive even her and linda yeah and they're they actually seem to i I would love to have heard those conversations because they seem to actually talk quite a bit yeah at times and we don't really ever hear that but right yeah well and then maureen ringo's wife who i just thought by the end of this documentary, I had such a fondness for her. She started out as a fan. I think he, from what I heard, he, Ringo met her and the band met her in Hamburg. Oh, okay. When they were doing that thing prior to just becoming... Oh, so they weren't even a... Huge, yeah. I mean, they were big in Hamburg. They right. were a band that was packing the place, you know, and then they came home and, and the crowds kind of followed to England. Um, but they go way back then... And so she was a fan. Oh, I wish I had known. I had no idea of that. She's a fan mm-hmm. of the band, you know, and now she's married to Ringo. And you see the fan in her still alive yeah. throughout this doc. By the time they're on I'm the rooftop. I'm going to rewatch it with that in mind. Oh, it's so sweet because you can see she's like, she represents what I would be feeling. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Andy, the PA. Who's like oh, holding yeah. up the lyrics? I mean, I, yeah. I thought a lot about him, you know, like in bringing him tea. Like, 
what and it he must did been the, like for him to be a part of this thing because they're all they're they're gods at this point. He's and, just a kid, sort of probably in his first PA job. Oh and, wow, yeah, yeah, that kid, man, yeah. the redhead. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the the guy with the who? Oh, Mal, Mal yeah. Malcolm, Malcolm, yeah. right? Their road manager. Yes, yeah. right. And he, uh, God, what a functional piece of the band he is. Oh, also. yeah, absolutely. Just, from from Andy. The, yeah, the, 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 the seventeen-year-old redheaded PA to, you know, to the four guys themselves, to Billy. Pre- everybody has like had such a massive impact on this project, yeah. on some way. Yeah, that version of what we get, yeah. they all had a hand in. Nobody was superfluous, which right. is really interesting. Yeah, you know, it really was like the whole Glenn Johns angle. You know, like yeah. Glenn Johns was always this mythical. You know, his name was on so many records that I love. Name a few. Certainly many of the Led Zeppelin things, uh-huh. Sticky Fingers, I think. Uh-huh. You know, like the John Bonham drum sound, mm-hmm. which every <laughs> band who's ever been in a studio it tries to get. Yeah. Like, that's the, you, you, that phrase is always used. I went to John Bonham. That's right. his thing with right. the four mics, you know, right. or three mics, whatever it was. But I had never seen him. Yeah. I, I had no idea, like... And I had no idea he had anything to do with the Beatles. So when he pops up and I'm like, good. First of all, he's he's in a, a beautiful. He's this the most beautiful man. Yeah. I would switch teams in a heartbeat for him and oh, Tom totally. Hardy. Right. You know, um, <laughs> and he's so cool. But yeah. he's also like, he's, he's about as, he's, he, yes, he's the guy that just hits record and everything. But yeah. he's also the guy that, he's the guy that says, do another take. Yeah. It always falls to him. Or yeah. that don't do another take. Yeah. I mean, he's integral and integral yeah. in that part. And you and and, and they're the not sounds. wanting somebody to pussyfoot around in that in that role. Also, I yeah. imagine it's it's great that when he has the confidence to say do another one. Not to mention the sounds that he gets on that. I mean, just from a technical thing, I'm, I was always blown away. Like, there's no getting amp sounds. There's no getting drum sounds. Like, it's like. Figure it out. You're in that room. We're just going to play. Yeah. And he pulls it off. And it's, I mean, it's quite astounding. How about Billy Preston? Well, that's, well, that's worthy of its own thing talking because yeah. that's, that's such a, I mean, yeah, so much about that thing. So they mention him in yeah. the first week, just reflecting on the Hamburg time mm-hmm. and all that. And his name gets mentioned, brought through one of the Beatles to the rest. And the next week, He's the fifth Beatle. And and the way it happens is so casual and seamless. And I'm thinking, yeah. this. first of all, this could never happen this way today. There'd be so many lawyers and people involved in this thing. Yeah. But he comes in to basically just say hi. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yep, that's it. And then and he starts playing jamming. And then yeah. I love it. There's a, there's a moment, like, I think it's two days later. Uh-huh. It's certainly one, either the next day or the day after where, you know, there's this shot of Paul going up to him and sort of, you know, sort of concerned, saying, like, hey, has anybody talked to you? I mean, do you want to even want to yeah. be on this record? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I do. And he goes, okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because he realized we haven't even discussed anything. One, but he, he's he, in the band. Yeah. yeah. It just casually happens. Mm-hmm. And and he's connected. And he changes everything. He changes the, the whole vibe thing. just goes goes from i mean they're they're all but ended his vibe is like the muse that they can all create through yeah. now because mm-hmm. now we're not just our dynamic with ourselves like we have this other person there who's 
musically fucking way proficient. Yeah. And so soulful. And, and you know, just on a practical level, we none of us have to, you know, because they were very loyal to this idea that we're going to, there's not going to be any overdubs on this thing. So if yeah. they wanted keyboards, something else had to go. Yeah. And one of them had to sort of fall on the, you know, the sword and like, okay, well. John was playing yeah. the keyboard at one point. Paul's playing right. the keyboard at one Which point. Which they do like, really they, well. But yeah. the idea that now that's handled. Exactly. You know? And the fact that they don't know that they're going to the, could be on the roof. Oh, yeah, yeah. Until like the last moment mm-hmm. and the rawness of that. And I definitely want to talk about how when the cops come, how hard of a mm. time they have and how fucking awesome that is. To watch, I mean, and I empathized with the police for a moment of just thinking about. I can't even imagine. No, what the you know you're you're tasked to shut down a moment in time. You're twenty two years on. old. You're twenty. <laughs> you're you're you have this weird hat on that the chin straps are by design don't work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, you know, like when this movie came out, there's somewhere there's a family. Because it was around Christmas, gathered together somewhere in England, probably. Yeah. Saying, like, that's granddad. That's oh, granddad. Right, well, right. I always heard about oh, this, but this God. is, that's him, you know? Right. Oh, we're <clears throat> humanizing the copy yeah. further. As, as officious as they were, they yeah. certainly didn't affect anything. Right. <laughs> they, and talk about Malcolm. Like, he navigated that thing so perfectly. Yeah. Just kept them at bay until they were done. Yeah. When the cops show up to the place and they are having a difficult time just getting in the building and they finally get in the building and they hold them in the lobby and they think at the time that the Beatles are blasting their music. Right. Their new record. And the cop keeps saying in the lobby, he's like, I mean, there has to be another way to do this, right? Yeah. Because he's thinking they're making <laughs> right, a recording. Right. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I mean, we got to turn it down a little yeah. bit, right? There's got to be another way. I have no idea what's going right, on. Right, right, right. Finally, after 20 minutes or yeah. something, they they get onto the roof. And this is one of my favorite moments where they're hit with the wall of what the fuck do I do now? <laughs> right, right, right. Because this, they're, they're, and it really is. It's like just the ge- geometry of it. They come up these stairs, yeah. but there's just this one little door that's yes. one foot behind it. They have no idea what's happening. And yeah. then it's like, yep. Beatles yep. world. The Beatles are playing live. Yeah. And they are, they're the way that we've seen them throughout and this And they're filming it. And there's right. a crowd. And there's right. like it, what they were up against at that moment was just like, they had no idea. It couldn't have been prepared for. And it. they were smart. And, and Paul was like, to own your place in history at that point, you know, and know that this is exciting. Mm-hmm. Like, let's keep playing. Oh, yeah. And Paul just rolls it along and wants to see what will happen yeah, next. Yeah, yeah. And those cops are just hit with that force field that they can't, they don't know what to do next. And they, what? it takes them a while. They, they yeah. get all the takes out that are, that are needed for the record. It's interesting because, yeah, Paul has that thing where he sort of, and there was a part of me that, that, when he turns around and he looks and you can see he's like a little kid. He's so excited yeah. because he knows yeah. that like I'm imper. There's nothing can yeah. happen to me. Right. Like he so knows. It. So, so he's almost sort of like flaunting it. Yeah. Which I didn't really, I mean, it rubbed me the wrong way, sort of just very mildly. Yeah. Because at the same time you see George's reaction, George stops playing. Oh, really? And he takes his guitar off 
And he's, you know, he's like, well, I guess we have to, I mean, I don't know what he said. Oh. Yeah, he stops and then he, he's sort of, okay, well, no one he's else He's been is in stopping. trouble with the cops And he before. puts it back on and he keeps playing. Uh-huh. But he, wow. he re- reacts to them coming in. Right. And huh. um, it was just two very different things. Yeah. You know, and, and because one of them to me was more innocent, mm-hmm. that's the one I gravitated, which was George's. You know, he's like yeah. a little kid. Like, I mean, yeah. the cops are here, whatever. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, Yeah. and that's one of those little details, too, that, you know, I think seeing it another time, this Mm -hmm. is definitely the kind of thing that I have such a respect for because of what it's done, um, how how powerful something must be to be able to rewrite all of what you thought you knew. Well, I will say, just the last thing I'll say was to do with this, this sadage, this word I have tattooed on my hand, which is... S-A-U-D-A-D-E. Yeah, and I think it's pronounced sadage. It's Portuguese. Uh And what it is, they refer to it as their national emotion, which I think is just amazing. That That is. And and what it is, is um, it's an emotional state. And it's the, the emotional state of feeling a very deep sense of nostalgia for something or someone or someplace you've loved. And being overwhelmed by that, like the memory and nostalgia of it. Yeah. Overlaid at the same moment with this sort of soul-crushing knowledge that it's gone forever. Yeah. You will never experience this again. Uh-huh. And they refer to it as the exquisite pain because it's it's yeah. heartbreaking, but it's yes. also so tantalizing. You know, they say that why we cry when we're when we see something beautiful is because well, we know that it won't last. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, but and that's so when you when it, it becomes apparent that when they stop playing, like, and it says, you know, they never played again. Yeah. They never played together as a band ever again. That was like the last, and they none of them knew it. Yeah, and I was just like. That's, you know, as beautiful as it is heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, but, you know, by that time I was just, you know, so I watched this thing over the course of three days. Yeah. You know, ever since then, it's like kind of all I've, I've just been in such a deep wormhole dive with all things Beatles and wow. anything I can find out about any of them. Wow. You know, you know, like How fun the last two weeks. With, well, I mean, I, I, you know, if I could redo I it, I used to say that about people who had never seen The Wire before. Like, oh, I so envy yeah. you. You yeah. get to see it for the first time. Yeah. But, um, so, you know, who like, are you falling into the most? And what, what, records? well, all things shall pass is just like all things must pass. Yeah. All things must pass. Just has, I mean, it, I had never listened to it before. Mm-hmm. I mean, that has just completely captivated me. And then, but the last two days, it's been Imagine. Oh yeah, because I, have you seen the John and Yoko? Yeah. Well, that did all above us only sky one. Or, yeah, or the yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, that's another whole thing. Like, my God, this is not how I was told these people were. Totally. You know, I totally. got her book yesterday, like uh-huh. the the grapefruit, which oh, is you fucking yeah. amazing. We have it downstairs. Yeah. You know, so I've just been like, I've been going through the thing that a lot of kids do when they're like in high school, yeah, like their introduction to it. And yeah. this truly is all new to me for the most part. But I also have the benefit of like, you know, as opposed to when you were a kid and all this content is just mine for the taking. There's yeah. all every record, there's movies, there's interviews, countless YouTube things. And, uh-huh. and so I've just like been just immersed in it. Wow. You know? Yeah. How harmonious, um, dynamic can be mm-hmm. you know without uh having everything 
uh, sorted out in your life. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a, a grand uh, demonstration of people who challenged the notion of fame, and they really did at the height of their success. Mm-hmm. They uh, learned to meditate. And it's one of the greatest stories. I mean, I think, you know, in the same way that the people who inspired meditation to begin with um, or people who have done it and kept this tradition alive, like the Tibetans, mm-hmm. developing this technology in inhospitable conditions, harsh conditions, right, in life, that they could find something real, something that would be beneficial to keep alive for all those years, right? Mm-hmm. In that same way that they found, that Tibetans found that that meditation was uh, something beneficial, the Beatles, at the height of their commercial success and all of the creativity and everything that they had, found it empty. They were like, this isn't yeah. it either. Yeah. And so they learned to meditate at that stage. And so... Well, did they all or... No, they it, all went to India. No, I know they went, but and I it didn't you, stick. You get the idea that some of them sort of were more into it than others. They were all... They were, I think they were all seeking mm-hmm. um, still, but within the tradition of transcendental meditation no right and you know georgia moved to krishna and uh john is sort of like a seeker and and but how about the moment you know when they're talking about the footage that you know paul is like comes in like i watch all the footage from when we were in india right and he's like and you know there's this thing with you john he's like you know you're walking by you're walking next to the maharishi and you're looking up at him and john like oh i know and he he sort oh, of, yeah. and it, they're talking about this in the dog. fun at himself yeah. about how sort of reverential they yeah. were. And then, John's then the looking for his dad. The hell, yeah. Or, and his mom. Right. At that time, he's looking for someone to lead mm-hmm. and he's doting. And, and there's traces of that also in the documentary right. where he's talking about. But they're about, able to, you know, look back on it and sort and go, of. go, oh, wasn't that a thing? Sort of fun of themselves. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't that long ago. It right. was like the last summer. Yeah. You know, they, they went to. To India, I feel like in '68, you know. I mean, you know the history more yeah, than I. It's like either 60, right. late '67 or '68, and they're there with Donovan and the Beach Boys, and and you know, and John being able in that short amount of time to look back at himself is mm-hmm. going like, yeah, I know, I was, be, I'm, I was looking for something, certainly. Well, you know? I wonder if it, it was be, you know, that's what I was thinking too. Like the one that it seemed to really stick with was George, mm-hmm. like very much so, mm-hmm. and I wonder. If if they sort of just well that that's let him have that because the other three didn't seem to like carry on afterwards. I think with John Lennon, it feels like he had looked for these leaders and all these different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Epstein, um, at first, you know, even dating back to the earliest Beatle, was the one who died, Stu uh, Stu Sutcliffe. Mm. who was John's like best buddy who was barely a musician but had a great look and owned a bass mm-hmm. or something and uh was in the band early on and then and and passed away left the band and the band goes on to get big in England and then Stu passes away and it breaks John's heart John has now lost all the significant people in mm-hmm. his life you know and so i think that there's this like him looking for oh, that I think you're right for sure, but I don't think he found this. it in him. No, it wasn't. But he found it in Yoko. He found it in Yoko. Yeah, and 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 that's kind of declared on the song "God" mm-hmm. on John Lennon's first solo record, the Plastic Ono Band, where he says, "You know, I 
I, I don't believe in Beatles. I just right. believe in me. Where is the, the, is it, I don't know if it's from the John and Yoko thing, but it seems like I saw it before him. When they're talking, to, oh no, I think it's because, it's on one of those like uh, interviews, him and Yoko on like the Dick Cavett show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he talks about, you know, the moment when he basically knew that she was the one, you know, in that art piece she had with the oh, ladder. Yeah. And, and said so, yes. Yeah. To give context, like I, the way that John and Yoko got together is basically John went to an art gallery and Yoko was showing and, and he was looking at all her different pieces and, and you know, there was hype about her. And one of the pieces was this ladder and you climbed to the top of the ladder and there was a magnifying glass hanging from the ceiling and you were to apply the magnifying glass to the ceiling and read what was there and it was just the word yes. Yeah. And John was like blown away by the that it would just said something positive yeah, something so it, direct. Yeah, he'd been so inundated with like negativity. And like that is such a sincere thing and he talks about that that's another thing I was really struck by. It's like him if anything but sullen. Yeah. You know, um troubled and like we all are but not innocent and, like such an innocent uh, uh, a playfulness. Right. There's another layer to this existence that we just discovered, you know, mm-hmm. and it is like uh truth being rewritten in real time and the truth that maybe we've clung to and gotten so much nectar from mm-hmm. throughout our lives now being changed into something that is equally as beneficial but more accurate and it felt like this fly on the wall situation in most of it that I never thought that I'd have this experience. It's like going back in time and he did it so well in the way of like not uh, interspersing sort of like Uh, interviews with the Beatles now and like talking about it or whatever, just having it all just be exactly the way that it went. Yeah. And it's fair to spend a couple moments talking about just the Peter Jackson and and the care of the the band. Like, I mean, it's just a brilliant leap. First of all, just the balls to like stick to like, no, it has to be nine hours long. Right. And and, and, and just the way that the whole thing went down is like he was in New Zealand and he was coming to England for something and 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 he was going to meet with the Apple people just to talk about some some other thing. They were He was going to be a uh, consultant um, for some uh, CGI or mm-hmm. something like that. He was going to consult them on some project and while he was there at Apple, he was like inquired about this footage as a fan. He was mm-hmm. like, whatever. I know that there was all this footage for the let it be stuff. Whatever happened to that? I mean, we got a, a whittled down right hour plus uh, documentary. That's a, it's almost like a, um, a trash piece. Mm-hmm. You know, it just yeah. doesn't accurately say what was going on at the time. It makes it seem miserable. And it's like this, almost like watching the bad porn that launched somebody's career. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so he asks about it while he's in this meeting and they go, Oh yeah, we have all that 60 hours or something plus 130 some odd hours of audio. That's, yeah. you know, that's separate. And, He's just like on the spot. If you ever want somebody to put that together, you know, and, and whittle out something new, you know, I'd be interested. And they leave the room for a few minutes and they come back in the room and they're like, do you want to take a look at it? Mm-hmm. And, and they basically offer him the job on the spot if he wants it. And he goes, okay, wait, <laughs> right. like, you know, and he's like, well, the only way for me to do that is if I, cancel what I'm doing for the next week. And I just watch eight hours a day of this mm-hmm. footage. And so that's what he did. And by the end of it, by, by the end of day one, he had seen 
he had had the experience that we're talking yeah. about now where he had seen uh, it, the story had already been written, been, been rewritten for him. Right. Th- yeah. This is not what we were told. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't look anything like the hard sort of wired story that we mm-hmm. have about the Beatles. And he's like, if he, if he feels this way after the first day, but he stayed with it all the days. And then he, he, he agreed to it now before he, doing it though. I think he went to a concert of Paul's Paul was playing in New Zealand. So after seeing this footage, maybe a month later, something like that, he goes to visit Paul at the show, gets in, goes backstage and, uh, He's, he reports to him, hey, I've seen the raw footage of Let It Be, and Paul's face immediately, I guess, gets like this, oh, really? Huh, sorry, uh, you know, kind of thing. Like, Because right. he's hardwired now to believe yeah, the story yeah. as the way that it's been written. Yeah. You know, his memory, as it's been talked about on, you know, out there in the channels, that memory, as we hold it, has been severely altered over time. And mm. in this case, he's blending with everyone else's story and the story that we've all kind of based it on. So even him, yeah. he can be indoctrinated into a story that wasn't the way that it went. And Paul's shocked to learn that there's that there was a lot of love and that it was not the thing. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of gives the the impetus to to finish this thing. And it's, we're talking years they've been working on this thing. Like, this was 2017 when he, I think he had the first meeting. Oh, my meeting. God. Did you, did you think about the undertaking? What? How long? I mean, Dude. the work that would be. And with that much restraint, like you're saying, there's yeah. almost no editorial. Well, there's no editorial thing. There were very brief moments of, like, this is the date. Yeah. This is where they are. Yeah. This is, you know, a this is the song that they wound up using on the record. Bar. It's so cool, too, to see how many songs that we've never even heard. Mm-hmm. They're writing in that moment, and they were just kind of like like titled, like uh, My Imagination mm-hmm. was a song. Yeah, yeah. And it says all the Beatles' names there. And it's just because this is a jam that probably didn't turn it into anything. Mm-hmm. But that was really cool, just kind of like yeah. record-keeping along the way. Mm-hmm. you know, And also in some of the conversations that the Beatles are having in between where they're just talking about current affairs or whatever, kind of, you know, throwing in like a a newspaper clipping of what's going on at the time that they're referring to. So we can kind of be in on the story. It's just masterly crafted, you know, of all the seminal moments in the band's history, it's a pretty amazing one to have captured because so much is going on that is on either side of their, their, the myth, yeah. The breakup of the myth. There's still the building of the myth. The, right. The peak of the myth. Yeah. When it was all over, the first thing I got incredible. I was just obsessed with Dig a Pony. Oh, that's yeah. all. I mean, like, you know, I I would just every day I would just be listening to it over and over and over, no matter what I was doing, out in my garage making knives, like playing it for clients. Very gospel like, that song. It's such a beautifully, I, you know. Recorded. And I just like all I and to this all I still want to do is just. Sing it with some people in the desert with a belly full of LSD. Like, yeah. if God is my witness, I will have that moment. <laughs> but around two weeks into this thing, I, you know, I'm watching YouTube and there was a video like uh, John Lennon's least 22 most hated Beatles songs. And of course, number two is Dig a Pony. I wonder if it's a little lyric content. Well, he because... said the lyrics were trash. Right. Yeah. Um, but I was like, Huh. But musically, what does he know? Such an amazing, it's just so joyous, chord so, structured song. It's just yeah. there's something it is joyous, and yeah. it's that song. You know that you can celebrate anything you want. That just hits me, and yeah. it's so like, 
it's just pure joy. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, and that that's that version. You know, that's one of the songs. You know, this is the version that you hear on Let It Be or whatever. Yeah, from right. the rooftop. I love concert. it when those things were yeah. shown across the screen also. It was like, this is the one. And I would try and call them. You know, and I'm trying to call him to Lacey, who's not mm. as big of a fan. Who, I mean, is now as a result and in the last few years and, and all that. What sort know. of response did she have to the movie? Oh, same. I mean, mm. because we're, like you, you know, we love human beings and we love studying dynamics and love seeing the stories hidden within the stories. And, and yeah. this was just a practice uh um, dissecting a god or something. I mean, and, and to be fair, like, you know, the music is so, I don't want to say incidental, yeah. but like, I, you know, th- that could have been a nine-hour movie about the, the yep. if they had just been on vacation talking, that totally. was, it was, because it's about them. Not, yeah. The music is like, you know, like icing on the cake. It's insane these days, like, thinking about all the technology that goes into making something sound like it has a swing to it. Mm -hmm. And the Beatles had this natural swing to them, this cohesion Mm -hmm. among them, this groove. And it's part of it is Ringo. Certainly for a band to swing that hard, so consistently over all those years, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it's uh, one of the things that doesn't get talked about, uh, about the Beatles, you know, of course we talk about their songs and how beautiful they, they all fucking their fashion and how beautiful these guys. Oh yeah. It's fashion. insane that they existed. Like I'm just, I look at them and I'm like, I can't believe that this person was just I walking two around suits within a week of seeing that. Thing. Oh, totally. Yeah. Right. I, uh, yeah. Good call. You know, but on top of that, they have this swing between them, you know, this groove mm-hmm. that, is really hard to manufacture. And a lot of bands these days uh, have to spend time uh, doing drums first. And then you try and, you know, a guitar on top of that to, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and here, this is just this natural thing between them. You know, one of their, one of their instruments was timing. Mm -hmm. I have to say. Yeah, that's a good, very good point. And so knowing that this exists in the world and this possibility, where else does it exist? Well, along those lines, this, who would you like to have this? The experience I've had, somebody that you know about, people fawn over maybe, but you're not a thing. But have yeah. this like something just radically change your perception of it. To have this level of a whoa, this existed within that. Like I band. had no idea that this. I think I began to experience that a little bit on a small scale with Led Zeppelin, mm. late in the game, way right. late in the game. You know, watching the uh, their their live film, you know that concert in New York. Oh yeah, uh, Madison Square Garden. Song remains the same. same. Yeah, yeah, that thing. They're gods on stage. It, it's insane mm-hmm. to watch them, their beauty and their talent. It's Did you see crazy. the Grateful Dead documentary? Yeah, and that too. That was another one. Because like, I think I'll never that does see that. that for a lot of people. I will like, never see the Grateful Dead the same. Yeah, after that, I have a lot of friends who like. As with most of my friends, most people's friends loathe the Grateful Dead having never heard them because yeah. they're supposed to. Right. Somehow they're going to get kicked out of the club. And and by your own admission, if you're sticking solely to the music, immersing yourself in the Grateful Dead, you're you're cutting out at least three quarters of what makes this band important. Right. I mean, obviously the music drew me in. Right. And I would say from like 65 to 74, I... I I'd put most of what they did up against anybody. Yeah. But, but you know, heroin hit 
and yeah. they started to sort of phone anyway. When they start um, getting disco-y. It's but like, I have a lot of friends who just, you know, worship at the altar of hating the Rayful Dead, who saw oh. that documentary and are like, fuck, wow, I, I had no idea. Really? I have to really revisit this thing. That and not great. so much because of the music, because of the people and what yeah. they were doing. Yeah. So that's, I mean, no, it's perfect. just a really powerful that this exists. Yeah. You know, like the records of people being more human than how we perceive them can really be a powerful thing. That's right. You know, Nick Cave, I will say, who is sort of my be-all, end-all idol, Yeah, he's actually been really good at doing this throughout his career and yeah. giving these looks into him, yet still remaining like an enigma. But, you know, he's there's a couple documentaries that he's that really... But it's rare. Well, you know? and, and, and similarly, I mean, you despised... Nick Cave's band at one point, and then you took mm. this whopping yeah. dose of psilocybin, yeah, and and all of a sudden it made sense, and now he's your favorite it's singer. Never changed. How I don't even know how long that's been. It was like in nineteen eighty five, and that's that same hidden dimension thing that we're yeah. talking about. Like within yeah. it, it's like they, these are things to find out there in the world. Mm-hmm. So we'll leave you with that. Go find them. Keep looking. Yeah, it's your fucking job. <laughs> Love you. Love you.